Good to be here today. I'm excited to be able to share this message with you. It's a message that God has really been speaking to me over the last week and uh, further uh, even, but uh, one of encouragement, I believe, for the goodness of God. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about um, this changes everything. And uh, what, what a great subject to talk about because in this world, we, we feel like, you know, it's very easy to be hopeless. Uh, but the reality is, is God changed everything. We're going to address that. Does that sound like a good subject? Yeah. So Jody talked about uh, this changing everything regarding our life. And uh, today we're going to talk about this changes everything regarding our world and our, our observation of the world. So to start, I just want to talk a little about uh, the second law of thermodynamics, which I, I knew a little about, but Pete Kligman, who's a who's a chemistry teacher and, and a science dude. He helped me along with this. Uh, the, how many of you ever heard of it? The second law of thermodynamics. Oh, good. Some of you. Uh, the idea of that is that uh, it states that the amount of energy in a system that is available to do work is decreasing. This is not a good thing because... If, if the energy is decreasing, the power to be able to do things like the sun being powered, like, like uh, just who we are as people, the energy in our bodies is, is decreasing. And you can see that just in, in simple functions within the earth. You could, you could see that, uh, that things are decreasing. You can see your body is decreasing. You know, uh, things are getting weaker. Things are kind of falling apart. Anybody notice any parts of their body are falling apart? Oh, <laughs> So the concept of that is entropy, is that things are decreasing. Entropy is that it's this disorganization of, of, of energy, so it now doesn't become usable anymore. And so one day we are going to have uh, a, a universe, a world that has completely uh, de-energized and disorganized and nothing will function. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I've had a, an entropy experience in my life, you know. When I was young, I had a lot of energy, right? And things have gotten just a little disorganized uh, in my energy, kind of a little like that picture. But why don't you throw up that first picture of, of how I was with all the energy I had as a kid. That's Josh, my son. No, I'm kidding. That's me uh, with my grandfather, Charlie, and uh, we're wearing our little uh, uh, Mickey Mouse hats. Uh, it's classic, isn't it? And, and my grandfather has his healthy cigar in his mouth. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, they don't tell you when you say that you're, you're, you have a calling for pastor that you have to be embarrassed in front of hundreds of people all the time. But it's true. It's true. You really do have to be able to share things like this and, and be okay with it. And so when I was this age, I had so much energy. My family didn't know what to do with me. I, I, I at this age and, you know, getting a little older too, was passionate about the arts, passionate about performing. And, and so every Sunday, my family would show up at uh, uh, at our house, my, my aunts and uncles, grandparents, they'd show up at our house and we'd have a great dinner. And after dinner, I provided the entertainment. It was a, a dinner and a show type of thing. I provided the entertainment. And it, it wasn't just done in, 
you know, in, in the dining room, uh, everybody had to go to the basement where there was a stage built, and they had to experience the show that I was about to put on. Of course, uh, you know, it was a young show. It was kind of silly. I remember one time I, I did this magic, and, and in order to, like this haze that we have here, just cut it out. Uh, the haze, uh, I used talcum powder and a giant fan in order to get the haze and the magical look. And uh, boy, what a mess that was. But you know, my family, if they did not go down and respect the art the right way, they had to go upstairs and do it again. And that was the kind of energy I had. I wore people out. I wore my family out. I couldn't believe how crazy I was and how they let me be that way. But they did because... uh, I was the first grandson on both sides of the family, and I was the king. Basically, what I said, everybody did. That's what kings do. So that's how I was, and then you'll see another picture here. This is me at 13 at my bar mitzvah. There's my mom and my dad and me, and uh, I'm still the king here. And, uh, I, you know, I'm getting a little older, but then things progress, and this was just taken about six months ago. Yeah, that's me sitting on a coffin, a little older, a little more tired. Entropy has really hit my life here. And uh, this was taken on set at a a film that I was involved in and uh, sitting on on this coffin where somebody had died. And, you know, it it just, it's it's true. We, We wear down. Anybody feel a little worn out? Yeah, it's just the way it is. It's, it's this entropy that we, that we experience in our bodies. But the reality is, is that when God came, this changes everything. And that's what we want to really address today. The change that God has brought because he came. This world is not in an evolutionary process. It's in a devolutionary process. Things are wearing out. Things are wearing out. We could see it in our society. It just gets more and more worn. We could see it in nature. It gets more and more worn. We could see it in our bodies, in our lives, that we are getting more and more worn. Genesis 3 is where this started with the curse, that, that we would realize that, that God said that he would curse the ground. And at that point, Adam and Eve, because of their sin against God, the very first sin. They were cast out of the garden, this place of life, this place that was built and designed for eternal fullness at 100% capacity. And they couldn't be in there anymore because it wasn't going to be like that anymore because of sin. Because Adam and Eve broke off their relationship with God in not believing him, not trusting him, and doing their own thing. Romans 8 describes this really well. It's an incredible description that that Paul has for what's going on in creation. It says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Anybody subjected to frustration because of this world? Have you? Man, it's hard to watch what's going on in this world. That's how frustrating it is. Do you guys agree? 
subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage of decay. We live in a world that is in bondage to decay and we experience it. We are affected by it each and every day and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The creation is groaning. What a, what a crazy picture of the world, huh? That, that the creation is groaning, moaning. That's what old men do. That's what I do. <laughs> Is Mona? Uh, uh, who was I talking to? I forgot. The other day we were we were talking about when we when we get up we we groan now, you know, because it's it's harder to get up. It just is. It's just harder to get up, you know. Um, and the creation is groaning. It's harder for it to sustain itself because things are wearing down and wearing down and wearing down. The trajectory of this world is going in the wrong direction. Let's show that chart. So I kind of designed a few charts for you. This is the first one. And uh, this kind of shows on the, on the horizontal axis, it shows time. So from creation to today and beyond. And, and then on the vertical axis, it has uh, perfection, which is up at the top. Uh, which is you know where things started at creation, and then uh, now uh, destruction at the bottom, which is the path that that arrow is on. That is our trajectory. That is where this world was going before Christ came. Do you guys agree? It is. It is the way things have been going, and it's important to know that that. In this world, because things are old and much older than us, uh, it is very easy to think, well, things are going to go exactly the way they have been going. And it's kind of like a steady pace of this world. But we, we see that that's not the case. And biblically, the Bible talks about this not being the case. Just this frustration, this decay, this groaning that is described in this, in this scripture in, in Romans talks to us about that things are not going to be the same. That they really are changing. And they're not changing for the better. And it's happening over a long period of time. So it's not that obvious to see. The world is not a constant, even though it feels like one. In 2 Peter, it says, they will say, where is this coming? Talking about the second coming of Christ. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. So it's very easy to think that, hey, things are going to go the way they've gone. This is the way it always is. It just isn't that way. It's just because it's such a long period that we think that. And then in in Luke, it says, just as it was before the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Was there ever a flood before? No. Did it ever rain before? No. This is exactly the point, you guys is that sometimes there are once in a, in a, 
in a generation or even longer than a generation, once in a thousand year event that takes place that changes the trajectory of the world. The first change happened after creation with Adam and Eve, forcing us on a downward spiral that would bring destruction and, and, uh, and pain to all of us and to this world. But God has given us a promise because the second great thing that happened is that his great promise that this would not be the ugly end of the world, of the universe, that we would go down in this negative, downward spiral trajectory where destruction would happen. So let's look at our key scripture today. It's in Matthew 1. Talking about the birth of Jesus. Talking about this uh, great impact that happens uh, that changes everything for us. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you will to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Can we just pray right now? I just pray that God would give us faith to believe that the impact that Jesus Christ had in this scripture, in this time, would re- we would recognize that impact in our lives, in areas of our life, and see the transformation that he decides to bring in each one of us. Would you pray with me? Lord, right now we just come before you. We ask, Lord, the Bible says, uh, one gentleman that, that was talking to you, you asked him if he had faith. He said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. And I, Lord, there are many here that do believe, but would you help us with the areas that we struggle to believe that you have promised us? We pray that faith would rise up in our hearts today. Hope would rise up in our hearts today and we would experience the joy that comes from believing what is so very true, what you have firmly established in the word, that this changes everything by your birth. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this scripture. First it says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. The Christos, Messiah. It was a title that was given to him, meaning the anointed one. It was his, 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 his real formal name, Christos, Messiah. Now, Jews had been waiting for the Messiah for years. We're not just talking about a few years. We're talking about many years, decades, hundreds of years, even thousands of years. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer. That's exactly who they saw him to be. The Jews were constantly in and out of captivity, in and out of trouble, 
You know, sometimes I'm, I'm really glad to be a Jew, and sometimes I'm not so glad when I look at their history because they got in trouble a lot. They did, and they struggled. And so there was this great hope that was not just out of their own imaginations, but out of the mind of God, the promise of God, that he would provide a deliverer to set his people free from captivity, from the decay that the world is experiencing, that he would set his people free. And that would be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. He would be rescuer, savior, warrior, divine governor. And he would have a great impact in the world that would change everything. First, he would come and liberate his people from sin. And then, at his second coming, he would liberate the world from the bondage that it faces. And we will all live, those that know him, will live with him for all eternity in 100%. Not a degrading world, but 100% creation. What do you think that's like, huh? There's some good food in that 100% creation, you think? Some great joy. Do you think there's sickness in there? No. Do you think there's anxiety and fear there? No. This is what God has for us, his promise for us. In Luke 2, it talks about this, this gentleman that he says that he loved the Lord and he was righteous before God. He was waiting, like we should wait. God has an impact to make in our lives. And we should wait like Simeon waited at the temple. And it was revealed to him in verse 26 that by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Savior of the world. Can you imagine what it was like back then? They were, the Jews were in terrible captivity in Rome. They hated it. They despised that captivity. They knew that they, they were called as a nation to be independent, to be led by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords himself, not by some Roman emperor that called himself Lord and, and, and had a pretense to, to, to call himself Lord over God himself. But here was Simeon waiting, waiting, waiting for the Messiah. Are you waiting for God's impact in your life? God has an amazing thing for us to experience his life, to experience his peace and his joy and his promise and his purpose. There's nothing like it. And we are very much like Simeon in this. And today, if you don't know the Messiah... Today, you could be waiting and experience the Messiah. You don't have to leave this place without knowing what it is to be saved, to be forgiven of your sins, to experience life and hope by the one God sent as the Messiah. And those of us who, who know the Lord, who have been struggling and, and, and find it hard to see hope, hard to see reality, this reality that God changes everything because of the struggles that we face, God wants to bring new hope to you today too as we go through this. So to continue in 18b, it says, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while, they were, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You guys have a benefit in being second service in that I kept stumbling over that word virgin about 20 times in first service. So I said it right this time. That's good. A little bit of practice helps. (laughs) So non-Christian scholars look at the the word, the root word for virgin there. It's alma. And they say that, well, it could mean a virgin, but it could also mean a young maiden. Uh, Now, the problem with that is that culturally, spiritually, religiously, throughout history for the Jews... A young maiden was always a virgin. So if someone wants to contradict this and say, hey, you know, that's just a a young maiden, it's not a virgin, you can tell them no. Culturally, religiously, the Jews knew what that meant. And as a matter of fact, when the Jews wrote the Septuagint, which was the Greek version of the Old Testament, before Christ came, decades before Christ came, they used a word that is very, very specific. It had no ambiguity whatsoever. It meant virgin. And that word was parthenos. Indisputably has only one meaning. This was the Jews themselves who said that. And so, when the virgin was with child, those that knew the scriptures knew what this meant knew that there was an impact that was going to take place in this world that was going to change the course of history. And she was pregnant, this virgin, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The hand of God brought forth the Son of God. What a miracle, huh? Glorious and powerful. And then verse 19 says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people. From their sins. You know, God's ways are not our ways. I don't think in such a religious environment where if you're unmarried and you're pregnant, it's a very, very, very big issue, cause for death, that I, if I were God, would have said, hey, let's just try this idea. I don't think I would have tried that, would you? No? I don't think I would have. I would have come up with another idea. And I think Joseph would have been really happy if it was another idea. Because it it really kind of put him in a pickle. And he didn't know what to do. But he just thought he'd be a nice guy and kind of back away from the situation. You know, step away from it in in a certain way. And and not get anybody in trouble that way. You know, otherwise it was going to be big trouble. Because it was going to become public knowledge and and, uh, a real problem for both of them. And, and so he was afraid. You know, God's ways are not our ways. Maybe he's calling you to do something in your life and you're kind of wanting to back away from it like, whoa, that is just way too intense for me. You know, maybe he's calling you to reach out to someone who, who doesn't know Jesus' love yet. 
Or, or maybe it's something related to a family member or a friend that, that God's saying, come on, humble yourself. Love this person. There's so many things that, that seem difficult and seem impossible that it would be very easy for us to just back away from because it's scary. But here the Lord is saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is for me. This is for me. I just want to encourage you, if God is speaking to you today, that you should take action in an area of your life, do it. Do it. Allow him to do a miracle in your heart and in your life and in your circumstances. And then Jesus, this name that, that uh, the Lord is saying, the, uh, give him this name, Jesus. It's a derivative of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So he truly is going to save his people from their sins. Isaiah 53 says, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And this is how Jesus will save his people from their sins. He will take upon himself the sins of the world and allow us to walk in forgiveness and take our estranged relationship with God and unite us back together in relationship with him. That's what God cares about is, is his relationship with you. If you think he cares about the things that you're doing that are, that are sin or wrong or stupid as, as something that he's like putting a scorecard on and, and saying, oh man, look at Ira. He has really blown it. You, you've got the wrong picture of our God and Father. All he cares about is entering into new relationship with you to restore that relationship and to love you with all the love that the God of love has. That's all he cares about. And that's exactly the promise that is given there to Joseph. And then in verse 22, it says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Everything that was just spoken refers to the promises of Isaiah 7. In this this promise, in this prophecy, written 700 years before Christ came, we see the promise of the, the thing in history that will change the trajectory of not only the world and history, but our lives as well. That is the promise. And it is to fulfill the Lord's message of salvation. When we think about this changes everything, we could see that the fulfillment of the prophecies of God for the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Christ is it. Prophecies are like a deposit. And so when you see a prophecy, it's easy to say, oh, that's God moving. That's God moving. And so when a virgin 
was with child, they were able to look back to the scripture in Micah and see, wow, that's what this is all about. They could point back to it and see God's fulfillment. I want to encourage you, prophecies that are not fulfilled yet are not necessarily the best to to ponder on and to think about. Think about the prophecies that God did fulfill and receive encouragement that God is on the throne. And the ones that aren't fulfilled yet, you you can know them and you will be able to identify them when they show up, when they happen. You will. But you don't have to worry, is this this or is this that? When is this happening? When does that happen? God will do this in his time. And we could just focus on the message that God has given us. He told us to make disciples. If you want to know what you're supposed to do in your life, there is no overarching calling bigger than make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and helping them to obey everything that God has said. That's our job, every one of us, not just the guys up here or the guys in the office and church, uh, in the church office, all of us, this is our mission. That was off topic, but good. Okay. So there there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus, and there are many about his birth, about his life, and about his death. There are over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And some about his his birth go like this. And the reason why these prophecies are here is to kind of exclude those that are not a part of the group anymore so that the set of people, of possibilities, becomes the one that is identified as the Messiah. So we start off before any prophecies, the set of people that could be the Messiah are basically anyone right? There's no, there's no restrictions as to who the Messiah could be. There's no exceptions, no things where the, where the set uh, becomes a subset. But, but now there is because of prophecy. So there's the prophecy of him being born in Bethlehem, this teeny little place. So anybody here born in Bethlehem? Okay, so we're not the Messiah, right? So he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then he's going to be born of the tribe of Judah. Anyone here of the tribe of Judah? No, you wouldn't even know it if you were because the tribes are too confused now. So uh, that now separated the people into a smaller group. And then they need to be a descendant of King David. And so it's shrinking and shrinking and shrinking the group until it gets to this prophecy. There's many others. There's prophecies about uh, children being slaughtered during this time frame. Uh, A a terrible thing happened then uh, that's in the Bible, uh, but it's also scripture. There's prophecies about um, them escaping to Egypt, uh, Mary, Joseph, and and Jesus, and that happened. Uh, So those are there too, but the prophecy of being born of a virgin kind of excludes Everybody else, don't you think? That's kind of it. I don't know of anybody else who's ever said that. Maybe there was, but I'm sure they've been able to prove them wrong because there's only been one miraculous birth like this, and that's the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the chart again. What happened at this birth? 
did something amazing because the trajectory that that arrow was on, we were going to see complete and utter destruction around the time of today or after or before it. I don't know where that's going, but it's, it's going to happen. The destruction's happened. But because the birth of Christ, because of his birth, this changes everything. It changes everything. The entropy that is happening in this world, spiritually, emotionally, physically, of it becoming less and less useful, yes, less and less helpful, this world, more and more destructed over time, gets changed in the birth of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a time frame for that right there. Something happened right there. And a lot of people decided that that's a significant time. That that point of impact changed the world. They saw it. They saw it change the world. But before that happened, the way timing would go, in, uh, you know, and uh, the giving of the years would go, it would be related to who's governing in Rome. So like if Ira's governing in Rome, it would be the first year of Ira, right? And, and, and then, uh, you know, let's say someone else uh, decides they want to like kill Ira and they want to, they uh, you know, run the, run the joint. You know, Woody, Woody kills Ira and now he's the, he's the king and, and now it's the first year of Woody. Woody, you're a nice guy. You would never do that. That's right. But that's the way the time frame would go in ancient days. But when the point of impact came for the birth of Christ, then things changed. And the times started being oriented around that event and that event only. And we call that numerical system BC, which means what? Before Christ, and A.D., which means what? A year of our Lord. It's not, it's not after death. It's the year of our Lord. So, I know, that's, did anybody know that? No? I know. Isn't that interesting? So, it's the year of our Lord. So, when the year of our Lord happened, everything changed. The trajectory changed. Life would change as we know it. And history would change. You know, in the, <clears throat> the purpose of this BCAD system was to make the birth of Christ the dividing point in world history. And truly it is. People recognize that, you know, in their imperfect understanding of things. You know, even, you know, just for you to know that the dating system is actually wrong, but the intent is right. Because, you know, Jesus was born a little later than in that first year. Did you know that? Anybody knew that? A few people. But the, the point is, is, is that when you encounter Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that very moment in time, everything changes. Is that right? Everything changes. And we have something great to look forward to. And that's, that's kind of what I want to kind of talk to you about now, just three things that, that show where everything changes. Let's, let's look at this in the final chart first. So this changes everything. 
the trajectory changes at the, at, at the birth of Christ. Hope begins. Destruction, the eventual destruction of everything, including ourselves for all eternity, is turned around. And we have life and we have hope. The three things that AD changes, the first one is AD changes your view of the world. AD changes your view of the world. Instead of an unsafe place ruled by evil, we see God in charge. Amen? God is in charge. And of course, he was in charge then, but he, he really took hold of it to where we could see it now because the trajectory of things was changing. We, life was coming into this world. John 1 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That was Jesus Christ himself. We can now have life now because of Christ being born. What does light mean? It's spiritual light. It's the hope of the future. It's the promise that he has for us. It's understanding what this world is really about, not what the world looked like before Christ came. The true light that comes into the world. And John 16 says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that is our our worldview now. Now, sometimes we have to be reminded of this, right? I had to be reminded of this this week, that God has overcome the world. I look at my circumstances and I say, this is too much. And thank goodness I had a, a dear friend that said, no, 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 no. God has overcome the world. God has overcome this situation in your life, the struggle that you're facing, the relational issue that you're facing, the financial issue that you're facing, the depression that you're facing, the physical illness that you're facing. God has overcome it. And we could see the world with new eyes now. Yes, we're going to have trouble here, but God is going to give us the victory. And sometimes the victory is found in the midst of struggle. Is that right? Sometimes God does something inside of us and changes us from the inside out that can only happen in the midst of trouble. And he changes us. And he gives us hope. And we have courage. And we have faith. And we believe God for the miraculous because our God is a miraculous God. And at that moment when Christ was born, we see incredible hope, incredible hope. AD also changes our view of ourselves, how we see ourselves. You know, growing up, my view of myself was pretty negative. Even though I was treated like a king and spoiled to death, I I, I just felt very negative about myself in in just so many ways. And, you know, I think uh, circumstances that happen in my life with people reinforced that or maybe started it. People speaking negative things to me about who I was brought that into my life as well. And you know, when that happens, you have, you have the outside forces of the world and the way it's treating you. And then you have people in your life talking to you negatively. Guess what happens? You start talking to yourself negatively, 
right? And so now you have these three fingers, these three gigantic fingers pointing at you, telling you how bad you are, how sinful you are, how miserable you are, how untalented you are, how ugly you are, how short you are. That was mine, one of mine. Three fingers of three different directions, myself, the world, and others pointing at me with that. But then in the Bible, there are dozens and dozens of I am's. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. God will never leave me or forsake me. This is, these promises that are in the word change us. It changes our view of ourselves. Galatians 4 says this, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. We get to call the king of kings, the creator of the universe, the eternal God, Dad. Dad. That's what Abba means. What, what, what an amazing thing that is. What a, what a point of intimacy that is. What a point of healing that is. That we will never be rejected. Because he is our dad. He is the perfect dad. He's the God who loves us with an everlasting love. And not only that, we are no longer slaves, it says here. But we are God's children. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. That means all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ in your life. Does that mean you're going to experience them all at once? No, but they're there for you. You can assess, have access to them, and God wants to bring them into your lives. Not all at once. That would be too much for us to handle. But guess what happens when we die? All at once. Every promise of God. Every promise of God. What an amazing thing to think about. Wow. Can you imagine what it is going to be like in that transfiguration between life and eternal life and have every promise of God line up in your life? That's our God. It started at A.D. And it will end when you see him face to face. You know, Jesus, while he was being baptized, this is something that's just totally affected my life the last couple years. And I share it with a lot of people because I think it's so profound. As he was being baptized, thunder from heaven came and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And God spoke that over Christ before he had done anything related to his mission. Anything. The second time was at the transfiguration, he said the same thing. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When we have a view of ourselves that is in line with God's view of us, it changes everything. It truly does. You know, it's, it says, uh, or research says, that you need seven positive things 
to counteract one negative thing that's, that you hear or you say about yourself. So I think that God really does want to say every day to us in different ways, every single one of us, you are my child in whom I'm well pleased. Don't you think that's a great thing to hear? Do you think that that's the heart of God for us? Are you there? I think so. I think God wants to speak that to us, and I think it's fantastic. I need to hear it every day. Ira, you are my son, and I'm pleased with you. I can't tell you how many times I am displeased with myself. And yet God himself, the perfect, powerful, eternal, loving God, holy God, that means he's completely sinless, is pleased with me, the mess. That's amazing. And he's pleased with you too. So when God changes everything, he wants to change this view of ourselves. And then the last one is, AD changes your view of others. Instead of using others for your own gain, instead of not trusting others, instead of trying to use others to be able to do what you want to do for your happiness, you know when you get married, you shouldn't get married because you want to be happy, right? You should get married because you want to make that person happy. That's, that's what... That's what marriage is. That's what love is. Love is preferring the other person above yourself. And, and so we, when this happens, when God changes everything, he wants also to make this great change in how we view other people in this world. We want to view others the way God views them. So 2 Corinthians says this, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. So we are a new creation in Christ, and our brothers and sisters are a new creation in Christ too. And so we want to see people the way God sees them, not the way the world sees them, but the way God sees them. And we want to respond to them the way God responds to them. This can only happen in a system that is not degrading. A system that has hope. A system that you could trust your relationship with God and your hope and your promise from God because then you can choose to turn the other cheek, right? It's, imp- it's impossible to turn the other cheek Truly turn the other cheek if you have fear that at the other end of that turning, God will not be there for you. You have to be able to know that to turn the other cheek, to choose the well-being of someone else above yourself, to give something to someone that you would have liked for yourself because you love them and you prefer them. We're going to have the worship team come up. Worship team, you here? Why don't you guys stand? We're going to allow the Lord to just minister. And Have you had this AD experience yet in your life?
And if you have, have you allowed it to have its full impact? Because God is here. You know, they, they sang a song earlier called The King is Here. The kingdom of God is moving forward. That day when Christ was born, the prophecies were fulfilled and it changed everything was the day the kingdom of God was advancing in an incredible way. The day you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he planted a mustard seed in your heart and that tree is growing and becoming this great thing where love and the power of God and the grace of God can reside in your souls. The king is here. The king is here. Amen? The, say it with me. The king is here. Oh, come on. Say it again. The king is here. The king is here. And he wants to move in our lives. It changes everything.